So Grace Church, following Jesus can be costly. You, you know that. It can be costly. That's why Jesus, when he calls people to follow him, he says, come after me, take up your cross and follow me. That's cost there. That's why in a passage we'll see a little bit later in Luke, he says we should count the cost as we anticipate following him. So following Jesus can cost us friendships, time, money, comforts. And Jesus knows that the possibility of cost can sometimes make us hold back from really obeying Christ. Some of you maybe have been stirred by the Holy Spirit to take some step of obedience, but you this morning are hesitating because of the potential cost. And in today's passage, Jesus is going to give us promises which will strengthen us to step ahead in the path of obedience no matter what the cost. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. We're going to go through verse 26. Now this passage introduces one of Jesus' sermons, which some call the Sermon on the Plain, to distinguish it from the Sermon on the Mount, which we find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. So today, in today's passage, we're going to start studying. It'll be a few weeks here, but we'll start today on Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. And Luke sets the stage. He powerfully sets the stage for Jesus' Sermon in verses 17 through 19. So how does Luke set the stage for Jesus' Sermon? Start with verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, Luke sets the stage for this sermon in five ways. First, he emphasizes who's there. Notice that Jesus came with them, which means the 12 apostles that he just chose in last week's passage. The rest of his disciples are also there, along with some who are not his disciples. So this is a mix of believers and unbelievers. Second, Luke emphasizes how many are there. Notice that two times he repeats the word great. There's a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. This is a big crowd. Third, he emphasizes where they're from. Now here's a map to help. They are from all Judea and Jerusalem in the south and as far north as Tyre and Sidon. So this is a distance of about 150 kilometers. So this huge mixed group of disciples and not yet disciples is from a very large region. Fourth, he emphasizes why they are there. What's most important is that they want to hear Jesus' teaching, which is why Luke mentions it first. And that makes sense. Jesus' teaching is with authority because he is God in the flesh. And his teaching is life-giving. Those who hear his teaching and trust his teaching are forgiven for their sins because of Jesus' death on the cross. 
They are connected. They, they receive a heart connection with God for the first time in their lives. They know the living presence of God in their lives. And God's presence starts to change them and fills them and satisfy them. Jesus' teaching is life-giving, and they wanted to hear his teaching. But they also, second, were there to be healed of their diseases. Many people in this crowd were sick with diseases. And then fifth, Luke emphasizes what happens before Jesus teaches. This is beautiful. Those who are oppressed and tormented by unclean spirits, by demons, are cured. And every sick person who touches Jesus experiences power coming from Jesus and healing him or her. Every one of them. Everyone who touched him experienced this power and was healed. It's a beautiful picture. Jesus, or Luke sets up Jesus preaching by giving us a stunning picture of Jesus freeing and healing a massive crowd of disciples and non-disciples. Now, at this point, I just think I need to pause and, and speak a word of clarification because there are some people who love Jesus, who love God's word, who read a passage like this and see that Jesus healed all, and they conclude that therefore it is always God's will to heal everyone right now. And that if we just have enough faith, we will all instantly be completely supernaturally healed. But this teaching is not, it's not what the Bible teaches. And I want to speak to this because if you embrace that teaching, it can be very discouraging to you. Those of you who are sick and you've been praying and you are full of faith, there are times when God in his love chooses not to heal and you shouldn't feel discouraged about that. See, Jesus does, beautifully does, supernaturally heal the sick today, just like he did in Luke chapter 6. But the Bible does not teach that it's always God's will to heal now. It's what he does in Luke, Luke 6, but in his love and wisdom, sometimes he chooses not to. For example, Galatians chapter 4, Paul talks about how while he was preaching to the church there in Galatia, he had some kind of a significant eye disease, which shows that Paul was not healed. Also in 1 Timothy 5, Paul talks about how Timothy has some kind of a stomach ailment, which is significant enough that Paul mentions it in this letter, which shows that Timothy was not healed. Also, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's thorn in the flesh, which probably was a physical ailment, and Paul labored in prayer three times that God would heal him. But God said, no, Paul, I'm going to be more glorified. Jesus' power is going to be displayed more through you with the thorn in the flesh than if I healed you from the thorn in the flesh. And because Paul's joy was to see Jesus glorified, he welcomed that and said, yes, Lord. So it is not always God's will to heal right now. Like Psalm 103 says, he heals all our diseases, either in this life or in the life to come. But in great love, even when we have full faith, in great love there are times when God chooses not to heal. Okay, so with that clarification, now back to this beautiful setting the stage of Jesus sermon. What's the point? How is Luke setting the stage? Here's why it's summarized. Look at this picture. The point of Luke 17 and 19 is that Jesus 
power over sickness and demons, healing everyone, freeing everyone who's there. Jesus' power over sickness and demons shows that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Just think about that. Jesus is the Messiah. He came to die on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. And by healing both disciples and non-disciples, everyone who's there, he shows people who he is. That power shows that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so we have every reason to listen to him and to trust him. And that sets the stage then. So we now, we now we want to listen. What is the Messiah, the Son of God, going to say? So let's open up with this sermon. Let's look at the sermon. Today we'll cover verses 20 to 26. Let's start with verse 20. And we need to ask this question. Who are the poor? In verse 20. Look at what Jesus says. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. There it is. For yours is the kingdom of God. So who are these poor? Well, there are really three main possibilities. One is that Jesus is talking about everyone who is poor financially, all the people in the world who suffer from financial poverty. And we could think that just because Jesus simply says, blessed are you poor with no qualification. The problem, though, is that that doesn't fit what Jesus teaches in other places. It's not all poor people who receive the kingdom. It's those who trust Jesus who receive the kingdom. So Jesus can't be talking about all the poor people in the world. Another possibility is that Jesus is talking about those who are poor in spirit. Now, one reason people choose that interpretation is because that is what Jesus does say in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the very first beatitude. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we could think that's what Jesus means here, that those who are poor in spirit, which means that because of Jesus, seeing Jesus teaching, they are grieving for their sin. They see their spiritual poverty, their desperate neediness for a Savior, and they're trusting him. That's a beautiful truth, but I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here for two reasons. One is there's, there's nothing in the context that would point us in that direction. And the second reason is, Luke would not have assumed that all of his readers have access to Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount. So I think there has to be another option, and I believe that we can see what that third option is by looking more closely at verse 20. Look again at verse 20 and notice who Jesus is looking at as he speaks these words. Verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now remember, there's lots of people there who are not his disciples. But there is a large section, his disciples. There they are, right there. And Jesus lifts his eyes up on his disciples. He's looking right at his disciples. And he says, blessed are you, my disciples, who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So the poor are those of his disciples 
who are financially poor. Like who? Well, remember in chapter 5, the previous chapter, remember Peter received a huge catch of fish miraculously from Jesus. So big it filled up his boat and it filled up James and John's boat. Both boats were starting to sink. And Peter saw his sinfulness and he and James and John all decided to become disciples. And what did that mean for them? Luke tells us in chapter 5, verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything. That would have left them relatively poor. Not only that, also in chapter 5, Jesus meets Levi, a tax collector. And Levi became a disciple. And what did Levi do? Luke chapter 5, verse 28, speaking of Levi, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So that's Peter, James, John, and Levi. But I think we can make it broader than that. I think in some ways, at least by implication, every follower of Jesus fits into this category in the sense that we all obey Jesus' call to care for the needy, to give, to advance the gospel, to support missionaries. And in the process of generously giving many away, we gladly accept a lower standard of living. See, every follower of Jesus has such joy in Christ that we lean into giving money away more than in keeping money for ourselves. The joy in Christ makes us lean into living a more simple life, giving more money away. Think about rich Zacchaeus a chief tax collector. And when he became a follower of Jesus, he gave away half of his possessions and said that he would restore four times whatever he has stolen from anybody. So for Christ's sake, now he still had half of his possessions, but for Christ's sake, he had become poorer than he needed to be with joy. Zacchaeus would fit in this category. Another example, maybe you're part of a church planting team, and God has called you to join that team to help plant a church in a distant city. And to move there, you need to change jobs, and the only job you can get pays you less than what you're making in your present city. But for the sake of Christ and obedience to Christ, you welcome that lowering, lowering income, lowering standard of living to plant a church. You'd fit into this category also. Think about the Church of Macedonia. This is a beautiful story. The church in Jerusalem was facing financial hard times, and many of the members were struggling. So look at what the church in Macedonia did. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4. through 4. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy joy in Christ, and their extreme poverty, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. This came totally from their own hearts. No coercion, no guilt. Just, this is what they wanted to do. Verse 4, begging us earnestly, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I mean, they were already in extreme poverty, 
but their joy in God overflowed in generosity to give away even more. So see, every follower of Jesus, out of joy in Christ and for the glory of Christ and in obedience to Christ, we will lean into living more simply, living at a lower standard of living so that we can give away money for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' glory. So with that in mind, read chapter 6, verse 20 again and see yourself, if you're a follower of Christ, in this passage. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, your sacrificing money for Jesus' sake shows that your faith in Jesus is genuine. We're not saved by giving away money. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But our giving away for his sake, for his glory, shows that our faith is genuine. And because your faith is genuine, therefore you know you have received the kingdom. And because you have received the kingdom of God, you are blessed. Even though you have less money, you are blessed because you have the kingdom of God. So that's who the poor are. Jesus' disciples who are financially poor in obedience to him. And that understanding helps us figure out these next three groups of people who Jesus also says are blessed. So let's ask, who else does Jesus say is blessed? Start with verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Who are those who are, who are hungry now? Again, Jesus is looking at his disciples as he says this. So it's Jesus' disciples. And you know, the path of obeying Jesus can cause us to experience physical hunger from time to time. Paul says, as he was planting churches in Asia Minor, he often had seasons of hunger. So there's many times where we may be physically hungry for the sake of Christ, but notice that word now. Hunger for the sake of Jesus, physical hunger for the sake of Jesus is not forever. We will be satisfied. We will be overflowingly satisfied with ever-increasing joy in knowing God forever, which is why, because we know that, we can be blessed now, even when we're hungry. Second half of verse 21. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Remember, Jesus is looking at his disciples as he says this, talking to his disciples. He's not talking about everyone in the world who weeps. He's talking about his disciples who weep for the sake of Christ. We weep for the sake of Christ because of our sin. We weep as we see the suffering in the world. We weep as we think about lost people who are on their way to face God's judgment in hell. Following Christ will cost you tears. Many of you have experienced that. But weeping is only for now. Oh, Revelation 21 says the day is coming when God, God, will come to you individually and wipe every tear. Tenderly, gently, lovingly wipe every tear from your eyes and we will laugh with joy forever. Which is why we are blessed, those who weep now. Verse 22, the last blessing. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you 
and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Every follower of Jesus who obeys Jesus, seeks to make disciples, seeks to spread the gospel, will face opposition and rejection and persecution. And when that happens, oh, that can be hard. It's hard to be rejected by people. It's hard to be gossiped about at work. It's hard. So how should we respond? This is amazing. Verse 23, rejoice in that day, that day that you're being rejected, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Now that's some joy, leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. You're in good company. Think about this. Are you being rejected right now? Look ahead to heaven. See the joy that awaits. And understand you're blessed. Rejoice. Leap for joy because of the reward in heaven that will be coming to you. It's there. It's been secured by Christ. It's certain. Rejoice. Leap for joy. Be blessed. So those are the blessings that Jesus speaks to his disciples. Now he's going to shift and speak four words of woe. Now, just as blessings are statements that you have every reason to be content, blessed, happy, because great good is coming, woes are statements that you should be concerned, you should be despondent, great suffering, great difficulties are coming. That's what woes are. So to whom does Jesus speak the woes? We'll start with verse 24. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Now, notice that word but at the very beginning of verse 24. That's a very strong word in the Greek, and it shows that there's a, a shift taking place here. And I think it's a shift from Jesus talking to his disciples to him talking to those who are not his disciples. He's just shifted here. And that's confirmed because he moves from talking about blessing to talking about woes, warning them with the words of woe. So then who are these rich? Well, again, it's just the opposite of the poor. There's opposites going on here. The poor, remember, are Jesus' disciples who for Jesus' sake lean into living more simply so they can give away more money. These rich then are those who, ignoring Jesus, are leaning into living large so that they can keep more money and stuff. And Jesus says to those rich, you have received your consolation. All you're going to get is the riches on earth, which at some point will be gone, and then judgment forever. Woe to you. Then verse 25, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. So again, these people who are full are the opposite of those who were hungry in the path of Jesus. That's the contrast here. So these people are full because they're ignoring Jesus. They're full of their possessions, their food, their stuff, with no concern about Jesus' glory, no desire to obey Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, woe to you. You will be hungry forever. Strong warning. Second half of verse 25, woe to you who laugh now. 
for you shall mourn and weep. Okay, again, this is the opposite of those who weep for Jesus' sake. So these people are laughing as they ignore their own sin. They're laughing as they ignore the suffering in the world. And they're laughing because they're ignoring Jesus. And Jesus says, you shall mourn and weep forever. Woe, woe to you. And then verse 26, the last woe. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Okay, these people are well spoken of because just like the false prophets, they're not faithful to God. They're not faithful to Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They don't speak to people of Jesus. They're not seeking to make disciples for Jesus. They're not seeking to advance the gospel. And Jesus says, woe to you if that's who you are and people speak well of you because their compliments are just like the compliments given to the false prophets. Their compliments only show your wickedness, your, not tr your lack of trust in Christ. And so he says, woe, woe to you who are well spoken of in, in that way. Now that brings us to the end of this section, this first section of Jesus' sermon. So let me try to summarize what we've seen in this whole passage, chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. Let me summarize it. Verses 17 through 19. Jesus' power over sickness and demons, healing every disease there and casting out every demon that's there. Jesus' power over sickness and demons shows that he is the Messiah, the Son of of God. And then verses 20 to 26, therefore, because of how Luke sets the stage for that sermon, therefore, because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, you who suffer for Christ can be sure of eternal blessings. But you who seek comfort, who avoid cost and ignore Christ, can be sure of eternal woe. That's what's going on here in this passage. Now, Grace Church, everybody listening, let's let this sink in. Understand, Jesus here speaks these words of woe, these words of warning, because he loves us. He loves you. He's speaking these words of woe because he wants you to wake up. He wants you to see, where am I really at spiritually? What is really going on in my life? He wants you to wake up. He wants you to turn from your ignoring him, from your sin, and turn to Christ. And when you do, he's there with open arms, ready to receive you, ready to welcome you, ready to forgive you, ready to change you, ready to help you, ready to give you such joy in him that you gladly endure whatever cost may come to you on the road of obedience. So these warnings are spoken with tender, strong, love from Jesus. So he warns those who are rich, those who are ignoring Christ and seeking their joy in piling up more and more and more money. He says, woe to you. You have received your consolation. That's all you're going to get. And then judgment comes. He warns those who are full, full of food, their possessions, just full of all their stuff. And they're, they're full of that because they're ignoring Christ. And he says, woe to you because you will be hungry forever. He warns those who laugh in rebellion against Christ, who ignore their sin, who don't care about the suffering in the world. 
All that because they're ignoring Jesus and he speaks this word of woe to them. Woe to you because you will weep forever. And he warns those who are well spoken of because they're not faithful to Jesus. They're not obeying Jesus. Woe to you, he says, because those who speak well of you are just like those who spoke well of the false prophets. So again, all these, these woes are spoken with tender, strong love. He's calling you to, to turn, to trust Christ, to be forgiven for your sin, to ask him to change you, to fill you. And he will do that. But you've got to hear him say, woe, 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 four times because he loves you. So turn. But Jesus doesn't just speak woes here. He speaks beautiful blessings to encourage us. And his whole point is, don't let cost ever keep you from obeying Christ. Here's the path of obedience that Jesus has called you to walk. Don't let the potential cost down the road make you, I'm just going to kind of wander over here for a little while. No, 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 no. Cost is there. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. He encourages those who are poor out of obedience to him. Blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of God. Woe. He encourages those who are hungry for his sake. Blessed are you because you will be satisfied forever. He encourages those who for Christ's sake are weeping over their sin and over the suffering in the world and over the lost. And he says, blessed are you who weep now for those reasons. You will laugh with joy in heaven forever. And he encourages those who are rejected and excluded and persecuted for Jesus' sake. He says, blessed are you. Rejoice. Leap for joy. For your reward is great in heaven. Four woes, four blessings. And now remember who says these words. This is Jesus, whose power freed all those who were tormented by demons in the crowd and healed all those who were sick in that crowd, which shows that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. So Grace Church, everybody listening today, listen to him. Listen to him. Trust him. Turn from sin. Be forgiven by him. Be changed by him. And then as you walk the path of obedience, welcoming whatever costs may happen to come, you will be blessed now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would let these promises so grip our hearts that we will not turn back even for a moment from the path of obedience you've called us to walk. I pray for those, especially right now, who, who are struggling with this. You, they know you've called them to do something and they're holding back. But I pray that right now, oh Lord, meet them. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are God in the flesh. Eternal joy, starting now and going forever, is ours. Lord, so free them with joy in you that they welcome the cost. And then, Lord, those 
to whom these words of woe apply this morning, those who are not trusting Christ, Lord, would you wake them up, shake them up, bring them to Christ, have them turn from their sin and receive all that you have. And then, Lord, have them for the rest of their lives be joyfully walking the path of obedience, no matter what the cost, because eternity awaits. I pray that you would do this because of these beautiful promises you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.